It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control what we discuss on the podcast today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Well, I do need to take a quick moment here right off the bat to apologize to our YouTube audience. Hopefully you are migrating over to the podcast feeds because I'm just not going to be able to post the podcast to YouTube this week. We're traveling. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm in an Airbnb. And the Wi-Fi here is just not good enough for me to upload and download video. And I tried to post the Monday podcast to YouTube, and it took hours. And we barely put a dent in being able to upload it. So my apologies there. We'll pick up on YouTube starting next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Nile. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Lockdown Sports listeners get $50 off a purchase of $500 when you use code LOCKEDON at checkout. Well, it is going to be Herd Mentality here on the podcast, the weekly episode where you send in questions, comments, concerns, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I respond to them on the podcast. We have a ton of great stuff to get to, so let's get started. First one comes from Kev. Kev says, what do you think of Daxton Hill's level of readiness to step in the cornerback role and help out in Trey White's absence. Second, I'm hearing some buzz from draft analysts about Kyler Gordon as a possible first-round pick for the Bills. I know you listed him as a round-two option in your cornerback analysis, but has anything changed recently to make you think he might be a round-one option for the Bills? All right, so two really good questions here. First, we'll talk about Daxton Hill, the safety from Michigan, who has played safety at Michigan. He's played in the slot as well. And I think he can play outside. Now, that is a projection. He's not done that before. But he has the length, the athleticism, the coverage instincts, everything that I'm looking for to play on the outside, especially in a zone-heavy defense. So that is a projection on my behalf, but it's definitely a projection. And so that's something to keep in mind where that might be a tough ask of him in year one given it's something he really hasn't done before. Now, when it comes to Kyler Gordon, I do want to clarify that in my Bill-specific board, I, I did a Bill-specific draft board that I did an entire podcast on. I had Kyler Gordon as the number 18 player. And so while my grade for him is a second-round grade, when I stacked the players that I would want the Bills to pick in the first round, he was 18th. And I really like Kyler Gordon. My only concern with Gordon is that I don't think he's a very – sound player right now in zone coverage. He's what I like to call a grass dropper, a guy that drops into coverage and covers a lot of grass. He doesn't adjust his landmarks, and he doesn't anticipate route route anticipations well in zone. But I think that is something that can be taught. And so I love everything else about him, love the athleticism, the length, the physicality, the tackling. I think he's a good mirror guy in man coverage. He just needs to develop in zone, which I think is totally possible for him to do at the next level, and I think he'd be a perfectly fine pick for the Bills at 25. Next one comes from Justin, who says, 
What do you believe the Bills need to do in this draft to stay on top of the AFC East and class of the AFC? Listening to the AFC East pod made me think the Dolphins are building an offense that truly hurts our defensive speed. How do we combat that? Also, miss submitting a dream scenario for Monday. My dream is coming away with defensive tackle Devontae Wyatt in the first and Dylan Parham in the second round. Future cheap talent in the trenches, go Bills. Well, first of all, I mean, those are two really good football players. Devontae Wyatt, I think, is a stud defensive tackle. Dylan Parham, I think, is going to be a really rock-solid starter at guard in the NFL. And so those are good players, and I like that you're prioritizing the trenches, which is where football games are won. Now, when it comes to what the Bills need to do to stay ahead of the competition in the AFC and the AFC East in general, I think it is doing a good job of attacking weaknesses, specifically in the draft. And how you get better, you get better by improving the things that you're not great at. And right now, I think cornerback is just such a glaring need for this football team. I think they can certainly upgrade at running back and get more contributions from that position. And I think they can just kind of improve their depth in a few areas and set themselves up well to stay ahead of needs. And those needs could come at guard. They could come at linebacker. They could come at safety. And so those are the things that I'm keeping in mind when I consider what the Bills need to do to stay ahead of the competition. It's being self-aware of your needs and doing things to help improve your weaknesses, and avoid future weaknesses. Next one comes from TJ, who says, the most important thing Brandon Bean can do in this draft is to build depth in the secondary and wide receiver because we are a Trey White not recovering properly away from having Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis against the best quarterbacks in the world in the AFC. Well stated, TJ. I agree with you that This is absolutely a glaring need, and that's why I don't have a whole lot of panic right now because I think that Brandon Bean's going to do something here. Whether that's acquire a veteran, and there's veterans to be acquired, whether it's a trade for James Bradbury, signing the likes of A.J. Bouye or Kyle Fuller, there are options for him to improve the cornerback situation. And, oh, by the way, there's an entire draft ahead. So I think a couple of moves are going to be made to improve this cornerback situation because you're exactly right. The best passing offenses, the best quarterbacks, they're all in the AFC. And the Bills have to deal with them, and they need to be able to match up better than they do currently on paper. And I think that over the next few days, we'll see that all come together. The next one comes from Callum, who says, the more that I see of Andrew Booth falling, the more I see him slot into the archetype of player that Bean drafts. ACC and AAC players who are talented but doubted. I see similar paths for players like Amari Carter and Alec Lindstrom. I see a similar path out of different conferences like Damian Pierce out of Florida. The closer we get, the more certain players have ideal Buffalo Bill stamped across their forehead. Now, here's the thing about me and Andrew Booth, okay? Clemson cornerback. I love him as a football player. I fell in love when I watched him back in May. I gave him a first-round grade as soon as I watched him, and he had only played 400 snaps at that point in time. And I think he had an awesome season this year. Awesome season. The only concern is the medicals. And he's got the double hernia. He's got a neck thing. He's got a knee thing. If your doctors clear him, they make him the pick. But if he's on the board at 25 and the Bills don't pick him, I think you can very realistically assume that it's because 
the medicals didn't check out. I feel like that's the only reason Andrew Booth wouldn't be the pick at 25 if he was available. It was because the team doctors failed him. And we haven't seen the Bills take a a risk when it comes to injuries early in the draft. And so that gives me some level of doubt that Andrew Booth would be the pick. And maybe that's just me tempering my excitement for the possibility of him being the pick. But um, I got to be honest and say that medicals are in play here. We haven't seen the Bills take a, a risk early on a guy with medical concerns. And again, if he's on the board and the Bills don't pick him at 25, we can be assured that he did not pass the Bills medicals in terms of what they're looking for. The doctors didn't sign off. Whether she prefers a statement piece or everyday subtle elegance, BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every mom. Shop high-quality classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. Looking for fine jewelry but having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7 available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. Celebrating the special women in your life, on BlueNile.com you can easily navigate thousands of fine jewelry options at every price point. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off $500. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day, so use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON plus every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. The next one comes from Tom, who says, My theory about this draft is pretty simple. Take care of Josh Allen. Build the O-line. Think of the Redskins the year they crushed the Bills. Rippon was sacked eight times all year. Keep Josh on his feet and stop the hits. We've been lucky so far. Trade up for a running back to take those third and shorts. Josh will continue to escape the pocket and run for 15 yards and get out of bounds. He really doesn't need any more wideouts, although I think... They'll give him one or two later on in the draft, but they should snag at least two stud guards to keep Josh safe, add a running back, and of course they need a corner, and the scouts have certainly found some targets. Tom, I always think it's a good idea for the Bills to do things to help protect Josh Allen, whether that's investing in the O-line, investing in running backs that can take something off of him, whether that's short yardage carries or giving him more check down options to get the ball out of his hands quicker. I think that's always a wise idea to prioritize. I think that Brandon Bean recognizes that. He said going into this offseason that the number one priority is to protect Josh Allen. And in some ways, he's done that by bringing back Ryan Bates and signing Roger Saffold. But I do agree that interior offensive line depth and running back are two ways that the Bills can continue helping Josh Allen and protecting him in this draft. Next one comes from Daniel, who says, How do you reconcile the fact that Jamison Williams couldn't crack the lineup at Ohio State and has only one year of production? I recognize the talent that he has, no doubt. He had a phenomenal year. Yes, Ohio State's receiver room has been phenomenal over the past several years, but it's hard for me to have this love affair for a guy that couldn't crack my college team's lineup. Was it system? Was it some sort of favoritism? I'd personally take Olave over him. Any insight you can share would be phenomenal. Well, Daniel, the first thing that I would say to you is, well, Joe Burrow couldn't crack the lineup at Ohio State either. And who was in the way? Dwayne Haskins? I mean, rest in peace to Dwayne Haskins, but 
Joe Burrow is a superior talent, and he couldn't beat him out. I mean, that's just what happens sometimes in college football. Justin Fields couldn't beat out Jake Fromm at Georgia. Jermaine Johnson, who's going to be a high pick, a top 10 pick, couldn't crack the lineup at Georgia, so he goes to Florida State. Tom Brady split time with Drew Henson at Michigan. I think this is just kind of the stuff that happens in college football, where the Ohio State receiver room has been over-recruited, they're loaded, and the guy just, he, he he wasn't in a favorable spot to claim a meaningful role. I mean, they had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, the Jim, oh, Jimba. They have Marvin Harrison's son. I mean, it's so many great receivers there. He transfers and goes to Alabama. It's not like he transferred and went to Alcorn State or Toledo and has a big year. He went to Alabama and had the production that he did in the SEC West. And so hopefully that would ease your concerns about Jamison Williams and, and help you buy in more because – I think that's just the nature of college football sometimes. And, and look, the examples I gave, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Jermaine Johnson, Justin Fields. Sometimes college coaches don't get it right, and there's a lot of politics involved that influence decisions. Dylan says, with all the Trayvon Walker bet on traits talk, it has me wondering, what's the difference between Gregory Rousseau and his traits compared to Trayvon at draft time that has one to be the potential number one pick, and the other dropping to pick 27 last year, actually pick 30. Isn't it all about the same? Maybe I'm completely wrong. Dylan, I think this is a fun thing to bring up because both players are bet on traits guys for sure. Both players raw coming out of college. Now, where I think Trayvon Walker has very different things that potentially makes him the number one pick, and you know Greg Rousseau was barely a first-round pick, is Trayvon Walker is way more dynamic of an athlete. I mean, Trayvon Walker, his athletic testing is similar to like a defensive back. I mean, he's unbelievable in terms of athleticism. He is a much better athlete than Greg Rousseau. And so you have the similar size dynamics, but athletically, Trayvon is just much, much more dynamic. And the other component of the Greg Rousseau evaluation that made it challenging is that He only had one year of production at defensive end. He played safety and wide receiver in high school, plays one year at defensive end in college, sits out the following season due to opting out from COVID, and it was just a very challenging evaluation overall. Now, I'm not saying that Trayvon Walker doesn't have his own challenges, but they're different challenges, and and I can understand why there's a discrepancy in how the NFL – could view those two players. And obviously it's different draft classes. Um, You know, this is a a situation where the top of last year's draft is more rich than this year's, which completely shifts the landscape and where players are going to land. So, you know, if, if this was last year and Trayvon Walker was in the draft, he's, he's not going to be the number one pick. He's probably not even going to be a top 10 pick. And so that's, that's another layer to the conversation that certainly impacts things. The next one comes from Brian, who says, listening to draft analysis from you and others on wide receivers, I was struck how often a player would be praised or dinged for their route running ability. In my head, I always think, well, can't you coach a guy to run better routes? You can't teach a 5'9 guy to be 6'3", but I have to imagine there are some traits that can be coached up. What attributes do you think that draft pundits often focus on are the ones that are most easily improved 
from coaching and probably more importantly, a player's desire to get better. So this is a really good talking point here. Let me first comment on the route running component. Yes, you can teach people to run routes, but I think the mental side of running routes is where I really focus in on because yes, you can teach a guy to get in and out of breaks and all that type of stuff and be deceptive and those types of things and improve their release package and, and how they set up their breaks. All that stuff can be taught. But the mental side of it, you know, understanding how defenses are playing you and how to attack coverage and adjust against zone and reading the leverage of the corner that's guarding you and how you're going to manipulate them and move them, all of that is where it gets more refined and more nuanced. And so, yes, the, the physical components are teachable, but there is a mental side to it as well and how you apply that technique. And, you know, there's a time-on-task component. If you've been doing certain things as a route runner for a longer period of time, your acclimation is going to be quicker where – if you have a guy that's not run a full route tree and hasn't had to make certain adjustments and those types of things, that stuff is going to take much longer for it to become second nature. And so even though it can be taught, you have to keep in mind how quickly you can reasonably expect that player to apply the things that you're teaching them. Now, the to kind of answer your question about something that I think people get hung up on that can be coached, it's, it's offensive linemen and – run blocking and, and, and functional strength. Guys can get stronger. And so we ding a lot of these offensive linemen for not necessarily being maulers in the run game and creating displacement. But once you get these guys in your building and with your strength and conditioning staff, you can get them stronger and you can teach them how to create movement in the run game as they get stronger. And so that's something that I've been careful about with my evaluations over the last couple of years is not dinging guys too hard that are offensive linemen that, you know, don't necessarily create a ton of movement in the run game, but, you know, have all the physical skill and are good pass blockers. You know, that, that run blocking component is something that I've, I've learned to become more and more comfortable with their ability to be coached up and for that to be taught. We talk about built bars, the world's best tasting protein bars, but have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, then you're missing out on one of built bars, best tasting bars, Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate because all Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, and they're healthy for you. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, low-carbs, and high in protein. Tons of great flavors, raspberry, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. New flavors are coming out all the time, so make sure you check out Bilt.com often to see what's new. And at Bilt Bar, it's all about taste. They make it taste great first. Then they figure out how to make it healthy, and I don't know how they do it, but they pull it off every single time. I got a deal for you. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. The next one comes from Don, who says, Is Kadarius Toney a buy-low candidate for the Bills, or is it safe to assume if he's not a culture fit with the Giants, he's not a fit here? So, as you guys are familiar, Kadarius Toney, former first-round pick or first-round pick last year for the Giants, has kind of fallen out of favor quickly in New York, and there's some rumors that he can be traded. And obviously, Brian Dable, the head coach there, Joe Shane, the GM, I think there's a lot of natural 
uh, conclusions that can be arrived to that is going to link the Bills to everything that's going on with the Giants because of the connections that are very obvious. But I do think it's fair to say that if this guy has quickly fallen out of favor in New York, that he's not necessarily going to be a guy that the Bills are interested in. And I think about Tony and his comments last year. It just felt like he was very entitled very, very quickly in the NFL. And so predictively, I don't think the Bills will be in on Tony. And I'm not sure they should be because maybe he needs to be humbled and maybe Buffalo is exactly the spot that he can go and turn the corner. But I don't think the Bills are going to give him that opportunity. So maybe he's an intriguing buy low candidate, but I'd be surprised if the Bills put themselves in that position. But we'll see. The next one comes from Maccabee, who says, with Dorsey being the new offensive coordinator, do you expect him to call plays from up in the booth or from the sidelines? I know Dable started his career with the Bills from the sideline, but seemed to be much more comfortable up in the booth. Do you have a preference as to where the coordinator should be when calling plays? Well, I think that the reason Dayball was on the sidelines as opposed to the booth early on in his career in Buffalo was because Josh Allen was so young and he needed to be able to have face-to-face conversations with Josh Allen, you know, after every series. And if he's up in the booth, he couldn't do that. And then once Josh got to a certain level of maturity as a player, Dable was able to go back up in the booth because that's the best place to be able to call plays. I mean, you're in a booth. It's a climate-controlled environment. You get the bird's-eye view of the defense, and you can really understand how they're lining up. You know, if you're on the sideline, you can't you can't get a really good feel for where they're they're lining up in terms of specific techniques. And, you know, it's just it's a lot easier to see from up in the booth. And you're going to be able to get into a rhythm up there, and there's no distractions of being on the sideline and people walking in front of you and behind you and people everywhere around you. You're sitting down. You're dialed in. You got your play sheet in front of you. You have a, you know, kind of a desk in front of you. It's just a better spot to call plays. Now, the trade-off is that you don't have that face-to-face interactions after the series, but Josh Allen is at the point in his career where that is no longer necessary, and plus you'll, you'll probably still have your quarterback's coach on the sideline. You'll still have Joe Brady down there. And so I would anticipate Dorsey being in the booth. I think he should be in the booth, and I think the reason Dable wasn't early on was because He needed to be able to communicate because Josh Allen was still maturing as a quarterback. The next one comes from Drew, who says, I was hoping to start a new tradition where you judge a Bills mock draft battle between me and my daughter, who is currently in the fourth grade. Last year, you chose my conservative draft, trading down and picking up Landon Dickerson and Asante Samuel Jr. over her aggressive one, trading almost all the picks to move up for Kyle Pitts. This year, I went conservative, picking up versatile athletes. And Lexi, again, went aggressive with a big trade up. Who wins this year? Well, Drew, first of all, thanks for uh, making this a tradition. This is very, very fun. And so I'll, I'll let everybody know the two mock drafts that were submitted. And I will let you know who I think is this year's winner. So Dad or Drew, Drew has the Bills picking Daxton Hill at 25, the defensive back from Michigan. Travis Jones, the defensive tackle from UConn at 57. Troy Anderson, linebacker, Montana State at 89. Jelani Woods, tight end, Virginia at 130. Lasita Smith, an offensive lineman from Virginia Tech at 168. Amari Barno, an edge from Virginia Tech at 185. Romeo Dubs, a wide receiver from Nevada at 203. 
and Smoke Monday, a safety from Auburn at 231. Pretty solid haul there. I, I think I like that. Um, a lot of good football players. It's a solid haul. Now, Lexi has the Bills making some trades, and I don't know the terms of the trade, and, and that may move me a little bit, but Lexi traded up and got Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama, at 13. Isaiah Spiller, the running back from Texas A&M at 57. Dylan Parham, the offensive lineman from Memphis at 167, or excuse me, at 67, not 167. And Tariq Castro-Fields, the cornerback from Penn State at 168. My decision this year is Lexi. I really like what Lexi was able to pull off because those first three picks are slam dunks for this offense. Jamison Williams is everything the Bills don't have at wide receiver in terms of a, fir- a field stretcher and yards after a catch guy. Isaiah Spiller is dynamic in terms of vision, contact balance, pass protection, and he's a really solid receiver. Now, he's not a receiver that's going to do things like a Brees Hall or a James Hook or a Tyler Beatty is going to do, but he's a very solid, reliable checkdown option. And then Dylan Parham, I think he's going to be a long-term starter in the NFL. So three moves that give this Bills offense exactly what I think they need, I got to side with Lexi. Now, the only thing Lexi didn't get done was really help the cornerback situation, but I would trust that in under these circumstances, the Bills would have acquired some, some meaningful veterans to come in and change the dynamics of the corner room. Now, I like Drew's Hall as well, but I, I don't know if there's the difference makers. I think the Bills get three difference makers in Lexi's Hall, where Daxon Hill, I think, is you know a guy that'll fill in for Jordan Poyer in 2023. Travis Jones, I mean, I love him, but where's his opportunity to get on the field over the next two seasons. He's going to play 20% of the snaps. Troy Anderson, a very raw linebacker. You know, he'll help the teams, the, the Bills on special teams. He would help as a third linebacker when they want to run true 4-3. Jelani Woods, a developmental tight end. I like that, but again, developmental. Lasita Smith, a depth offensive lineman. Speed rusher and Barno late. And then Dubs and Smoke Monday, who I think are special teams only type players. And so I just see more impact out of what Lexi was able to do, even though it's less players. So for 2022, Lexi bounces back and, and takes, down, uh, takes down dad in the court of Joe Marino's opinion on, on which draft hall I would rather have. But I would like to see what Lexi gave up to move to 13 and not have to give up 57. And she moved up to 67. So I'm guessing... Third, fourth round picks were traded, potentially some future picks, probably first and second round pick in 2023. So that could definitely move me off. But when I look at which hall provides more impact, I got to side with Lexi. And so that's my pick for this year. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, all my final thoughts regarding the bills and the draft. I'll give you my final predictive mock draft selection and um, just kind of tie a ribbon on all of the preparation because it is draft day. And then, of course, on Friday, we will react to whatever the Bills do in the first round of the draft. So it promises to be an exciting couple of days here on the podcast and in the NFL in general and, of course, for the Buffalo Bills. So don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed 
Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.